The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Lord Jesus, fix our eyes on your glory and majesty this epiphany season. Amen. When is it Jesus' hour? When has Jesus' hour come? Anybody know? Well... I know it's not Lent yet. Thanks be to God. I still have a few more weeks to prepare something. Yeah. Uh, It's still Epiphany. But this is still an important question. It's Epiphany season. We're supposed to be, I'm supposed to be telling you stories from up here, from the Bible, about how Jesus manifests himself as God's son, as God, as divine, but also man, and try to relate to you how he does that over like seven or eight weeks of epiphany. Maybe you'll have to dig back into your confirmation databanks for this one. Just whenever you last read through the Gospels a few times, Jesus' hour to the Apostle John, is his betrayal, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. That's all Jesus' hour. The entire Christ event rolled into one series of events. In that series of events, we know today as Christians that this is how the Son, Jesus, is glorified as God. How the glory of the Father is made known, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, right? A light, epiphany, a light to the Gentiles. And after all, it's how our sins are atoned for when we have faith in this event. But imagine not knowing this was going to happen 
and not knowing that it had to happen. That's a good way to try and uh, capture what epiphany, epiphany season is for. Epiphany means to manifest, to reveal, to appear. And I think by pretending we don't know that Jesus is supposed to go and die, rise again and ascend into heaven, we can begin to put our minds in a spot, our hearts in a spot, like those people that experienced the gospel for the first time in their life. In the gospel lesson today, Mary tells her son Jesus that there is not enough wine at the wedding feast in Cana. He gives her quite the stiff response. Um, something that my mother would often tell me, she would say, please don't ever address me as woman uh, if I ask you to do something. Uh, but uh, according to a modern translation of the Bible that came out in 1963, I found this on the free bookshelf, and I think it is so endearing because it's a modern American translation, but it's from 1963. Um, Jesus' words are a little softer. He simply tells his mom, it isn't the right time yet. In Greek, Jesus tells his mom, my hour has not yet come. Two very different ways of saying it. And uh, Ken, just for your sake, in the Hawaii Pigeon Bible, he says, Ain't my time yet. What kind of response is this that Jesus gives to such a pragmatic request? My son, there's not enough wine. Why would Jesus say, the hour has not yet come? My hour has not yet come. It isn't the right time yet. What did she expect him to do? He hadn't done any signs yet. He hadn't done any miracles before. This wasn't a habit of her son's, it doesn't seem like, to procure wine when it runs out at parties, at least not that we know of. But surely Mary expected something from her son. I'm not sure if you've heard the song, Mary, Did You Know? It's like a, now a famous Christmas Eve song. Uh, it was, you know, everyone sang it. Kenny Rogers, Clay Aiken, the Pentatonics, Carrie Underwood. Um, it was, it's from the 90s. It's a series of questions by the singer to Mary, the mother of our Lord, um, that lead the listener to wonder if Mary knew that Jesus was the Messiah and Son of God. Well, thanks be to God. We know what Mary knew. We know an angel appeared to her and said, He will be great, called the Son of the Most High. The Lord is going to give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. There will be no end to his kingdom. He will be called holy, the Son of God. We know that an angel came to Joseph in a dream and literally said, Your son will be called the Son of God. Mary and Joseph both could not have gotten a clearer answer, a clearer epiphany from God. 
Jesus was going to be the Son of Man and the Son of God, the Messiah, promised to Israel and to the world. And there's a whole lot of stuff that was promised with the Messiah that Mary knew to expect. These faithful people, these faithful Galileans that waited for the Messiah for such a long time and their parents and their parents' parents and all the way back, they were looking for signs. For the hour of the Messiah's appearance, his epiphany into this world. The givers of the law, the rabbis, had invented rituals and rules by which one could obey and fill in the missing hole that was in one's heart where Messiah was supposed to go. The form that this took back in the day, among many things, was the ritualistic washing of plates and bowls and utensils for eating. The idea of rinsing and cleaning these bowls and plates and utensils was to make something clean before it went into the mouth. And we're talking not only physically clean, but spiritually clean. And though we know now, it's not what goes in or what comes goes into the mouth. It's what comes out of the mouth that makes you unclean. But regardless, the hosts wanted to make sure that these rituals expected from the lawyers, the rabbis, were being followed. They had more than enough stone jars to fill with water to do this, this washing. They each probably held about 30 gallons, I believe the text says. And this is what's crazy. Uh, we know from the Talmudic literature that the stone was speculated by rabbis to not carry uncleanness between washings like pottery might, as they suspected. So sinfulness and uncleanness wouldn't stay in the stone between water being filled in there like it would with pottery. Not something that we can really understand. But I also imagine them being made out of stone made them harder to steal. Uh, But that's just my own personal theory. Um, Jesus has these to be filled with water by the servants. They draw up a cup by Jesus' command and they take it to the master of the feast. It's so good that the wedding organizer runs up to the groom at the reception and commends him for it. He glorifies him. Usually people use the good stuff first and then you move over to the crud. Right? The stuff that's 298. But the wedding at Cana is not occurring to bring glory to this groom, whoever it was. Some say it was John the Apostle, some say it was James. Makes a lot of sense for one of those two because of the familial relationship to Jesus. But who knows? Not important. <laughs> The purpose of this wedding becomes to glorify the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom of the church that we heard about in the psalm. 
that we explicitly heard of in the Old Testament and in the, uh, the hymn that we just sang, that after singing it, I believe and I'm led to believe that it is maybe a wedding hymn. Mary had already experienced that star in Bethlehem. She'd experienced the virgin birth. She'd had that spooky memory of meeting that guy, Simeon, at the temple that told her that her son was going to be a light to the Gentiles, the Messiah, and then said that he's going to do something big that people hate and they're going to kill him and it's going to strike your soul and pierce your, your heart. And she and the other disciples had just witnessed his baptism. They had heard the Father's voice from heaven say, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit had descended bodily in the form of a dove as we got on this stained glass over here. Lutheran Church of the Holy Spirit, I'll have you. And John the Baptizer, of course, has been preaching on it forever. The signs were all pointing to Jesus of Nazareth being the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And the way that the ministry of the Messiah was to start that day was through the sign of water being turned into a lot of excellent wine. Bizarre. When Mary says they don't have any wine, she's right. She's correct. These faithful people only had barren water used for ritual cleansing and the many man-made rules of the rabbis, the Pharisees, and the lawgivers. And when the dinner manager remarked, you've kept the good wine until now, he is speaking of God the Father keeping his Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man, until the perfect appointed time. And now it's here for us. The good wine was saved for later. The old wine is through. In the Old Testament book of the prophet Amos, now known for his cookies, we hear the words that Mary, the disciples, the Jews, heard their entire lives as they waited for the Messiah. Behold, the days are coming, says Yahweh, when the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it. I, Yahweh, will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine and they will have gardens and eat their fruit. In other words, when Messiah comes, there's going to be a wedding feast. When Messiah comes, he's going to bring wine, lots of it, and it's going to be good. When Messiah's here, it means Yahweh God will restore Israel. He's going to restore our fortunes. He's going to, I hope, get rid of those people that are above us. It's everything they've been hoping for, praying for, waiting for. And here he is. He's here at the wedding celebration. He's brought abundant wine. 
He's replaced the old stuff, the old dead rituals for us. And so, it says, the disciples believed in him. But it was not yet the Son of Man's hour. His ministry, though, had begun. And now today, we still live in this hour. We live this side of the cross, knowing that the Son of Man would be ultimately glorified in his suffering, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension for our sins. We know that the disciples, we know that Mary did not know what the Son of Man needed to do yet. To be lifted up, to die and rise again three days later. They didn't know that Jesus would say when he would be betrayed that his hour is also, as Jesus says, their hour when darkness reigns, as he says in Luke 22. We live this side of the cross in Christ's hour. Does this, ever, does this hour ever feel like darkness is still reigning? Do you ever find yourself thrown out of healthy habits and instead endlessly scrolling through your phone, always going back, grabbing the chips, even though you know it's not going to make you feel full? You ever keep sitting on the couch when you know, oh man, I know I worked out at least once last week. I should, if I do it again, maybe it'll become a habit. Oh, I'll try again next week. Do you find yourself saying, I'll start tomorrow? Do you find yourself Googling what self-help book or technique will prop you up this time? will make the anxieties of a world getting darker and darker go away for a little longer, do you find yourself ritually washing bowls and plates and spoons and utensils out of stone jars, hoping that this crutch, these rules that you've set for yourself, that you've heard from others, that you've heard have worked for them, will work this time? The good news, everybody is that Jesus Christ's hour has not ended. He saw that his beloved creation had fallen. He came down. He became like us. He became the messianic replacement for these barren, harmful systems that we've come up with to solve a problem that we can't solve. He became and came to the wedding banquet, he saw that barrenness, that despair, and replaced that water, which leads us to be thirsty again, and replaced it, as only Messiah can, with good wine, excellent wine, the new covenant in his blood. Whoever drinks this wine, this blood of the Son of Man, the Christ, has eternal life. And Jesus will raise him up on the last day. You, I, continue to live in Jesus Messiah's hour. Not in darkness, but as lights of the world. Jesus Messiah displays the full glory of God in this hour. In his winning of our forgiveness of sins and death and resurrection. When he became flesh... And dwelt among us, 
we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Christmas Day reading, John 1. This means that we see Christ, and in Christ, the full glory of God the Father that even Moses could never see. In Christ, we have what is not barren, not despair, not temporary, but abundant, abundance of grace, of truth. We have our hope in his return, in his return when he will return and raise us all up in all that we know and love and give eternal life to those who believe on him. This epiphany, when God appeared to man in flesh, we are invited at the final marriage feast of the Lamb to be like his disciples, to be like Mary, to believe in Jesus Christ as our Redeemer and Lord and Messiah forever and ever. May the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.